Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. Hey, when you're done listening to this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content. Our app is actually the best place to keep up with everything going on at Hope. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. How are we? (laughs) Good. Good to see you. I accidentally wore a shirt that matches with the background, so I apologize. That was not intentional. I might do it next week again just to mess with you. But um, a few years ago, a lot of years ago, I had a coworker at a different church, and uh, she was a worship leader. She still has one of the best voices I've ever heard in my life. Like when she sang, it sounded like the angels were in the room with us. And uh, she was also really, really good at discipling and pouring into young adults and college students. And um, she loved the Bible. She really loved Jesus, was pursuing him hard. And uh, we got to work kind of closely together. We would um, uh, work on sermon series and she would plan the worship sets based on the sermons that I was going to give. And it was a cool working relationship. Uh, But about a year after I started working with her, I kind of noticed that she was going through something. You ever just kind of tell someone's going through something? Like I knew it wasn't a family thing. Uh, She wasn't dating anyone, so I knew it wasn't a relationship thing. And then slowly she started to ask some questions about theology and about doctrine and about the Bible. And it's like, this is cool. So we can talk about that. And so we'd have conversations about that. Uh, But as the months went on, she began to ask kind of more pointed questions about kind of some of the basic doctrines and theology that Christianity is built on. Like, can we really believe that Paul wrote this? Or you think Jesus really, really said that? Or what do you really think about the resurrection? Like, do you actually believe in that? And then she started to give me some books, um, some books by progressive uh, Christian teachers, some books by uh, agnostics and atheists. And I read through them and we'd have longer conversations and took me a lot longer to find some of the answers to the questions that she was asking until eventually we just kind of had to have a heart to heart. And I was like, hey, are you still like on board with this whole Jesus thing and church thing and Bible thing? And she was honest and she said, I'm still pretty sure I'm on board with this whole Jesus thing. Uh, But I'm not really sure about this whole Bible thing and church thing. I'm having a lot of doubts. And so eventually um, she left staff. We had to part ways. It was peaceful. It was sad. Um, Kind of the hardest thing was that I I didn't have still some of the answers that she was looking for. And so as I kind of watched her on social media over the coming weeks and months, I noticed that she actually got further and further away from what I would consider historic Christian doctrine. And she became exvangelical is how she defined it. Not evangelical, but exvangelical that she was going through a deconstructing process. And um, uh, she made it pretty far away from Jesus. Now she's come back now a pretty sufficient amount. uh, But that led me down a really long path of doing some more research. And not just trying to figure out the answers to the questions that she had asked me, but really trying to figure out where these questions had come from to begin with. Where did these doubts actually stem from? And I figured out really quickly that she was just one of thousands and thousands of Christians that were questioning pretty much everything about their faith, some of which were going all the way and deconverting and leaving the faith altogether. And that was 10 years ago. 
Um, now the numbers are even more startling. Now um, there's actually a huge movement of people that are deconverting or, or leaving the faith. That was just the start of it 10 years ago. Now there's whole websites devoted to cataloging the deconversion stories of people that were formerly Christians. There's whole internet personalities that exist to help you ask questions and to kind of lead you away from Jesus. And odds are, because of how popular it is right now, um, you or someone that you know is going through a process just like that. And I just want to let you know if that is you or if you know someone, maybe a son or a daughter or a coworker or a close friend, um, you're absolutely not alone. Um, in fact, the, the number of people that check the box on the religion, you know, on the census, they ask if you're Christian or all these other religions, and now there's a box called none, not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E. Uh, the number of people that have been checking that box has steadily risen to a, an amazing amount the past 10 or 15 years. And you might think, like I thought, that's because, you know, there's, there's less spiritual people in America, and so there might be some agnostics or some atheists or just unspiritual people who are raising kids in an unspiritual house household and that's why the number's growing but that's not the case whatsoever. The reason the number's growing is because recently a Pew Research Center study found roughly eight in ten of those people that checked the box for none were formerly Christians. So 80 percent of the people that identify as non-spiritual used to belong to a community of faith. And because of that, it's what experts are calling the biggest shift in American Christianity in the past 200 years. To put it in perspective, for every one convert that converts to Christianity in America, four people deconvert from Christianity. And so deconversion is the biggest crisis facing the, the Western church. And I say Western very purposefully. This is only a phenomenon that's happening in North America and in Europe. It's the opposite everywhere else in the world. In the Southern Hemisphere, the church is growing. In fact, uh, worldwide, the church is growing by leaps and, and bounds. It's just that here in the West, it's shrinking. And that's going to come up again and again in this series. But here's the deal. This doesn't just happen willy-nilly. No one just wakes up and decides they don't want to follow Jesus anymore. Right? No one just wakes up and is like, I don't think God's real. No one goes to church and walks out and is like, I didn't like that third worship song. I don't think Jesus got up from the grave. Or no one goes to Chick-fil-A on a Sunday after church and says, what? It's closed. There is no God. Okay, It doesn't just happen like that. I'll admit sometimes when the Kansas City Chiefs lose, I doubt God's sovereignty a little bit. Just kidding. There's no lightning. That's good. Um, there's, a, there's a process that takes place. And this process is, is popularly known as deconstruction. Everyone say deconstruction. And this process starts for a variety of reasons. There's a really good book called The Anatomy of Deconversion that we've actually put on a resource list. We, uh, we've spent a lot of time uh, pouring over books and podcasts and sermons and online resources. And we've compiled a whole resource list uh, that's going to be available. Uh, you can text uh, more to 72989 or you can just go uh, below the sermon on our website or on YouTube. And we've compiled books and, and podcasts and sermons, not just for the series as a whole, but also for the individual weeks. And it's not just for adults either. It's also for college students and high school students. We even have an amazing resource for parents of elementary uh, age students that you can actually have these discussions uh, but in one of those books, The Anatomy of Deconversion, he interviewed hundreds of people that have, have deconverted, and he found that there's common reasons that kind of start the process. The first of which is a trusted Christian leader falls morally, so they give in to sin. Another reason is uh, harm or abuse at the hands of a Christian leader. So this person who says they follow Jesus abuses or harms another person. 
Um, or sometimes it's just pain and suffering. Uh, so sometimes if you were brought up in a church, especially like a health, wealth, and prosperity church that doesn't even have a category uh, for suffering or pain, um, this happens. And then some reasons are more logical. Um, how does evolution square with Genesis chapter 1? Or hasn't the Bible been translated so many times we don't even know what it says? We've talked about that here in the past. Or hasn't the Bible been used to support slavery? Or haven't people used the Bible to keep women down? Or what about the sexual ethics of the Bible? Are, aren't those really outdated? Can we really believe in a religion that's so out of touch with the times? And so those experiences start this process, but really what leads to deconversion aren't those doubts, aren't those questions. It's the, the response that people get from other Christians. That's the number one indicator of whether someone will leave the faith or not. Because oftentimes when people are trying to find the answer to some of those questions, the Christians that they know respond with shock, uh, with judgment and shame. How, why can't you just have more faith? Uh, they refuse to have a conversation. They refuse to track down the answers. And sometimes they're even kicked out of their faith community. And I just want to say at the beginning of this series, if that's you and you've had doubts and made them public and you've had that response from Christians, I am so sorry. That's not how Jesus tells us to respond. And I want to offer you a different response. Now, some of those are really good reasons to question whether this whole Jesus thing is legit. To have someone that proclaims to know Jesus and have their spirit inside of you, inside of them, to then go around and harm or abuse you emotionally or sexually or physically or financially, that would cause a crisis of faith for me as well. Or to have someone that you know tell you for years and years, you need to base your life on these principles and these truths and then to find out they don't even follow those things themselves, that would cause me to question as well. To have legitimate questions about theology or what the Bible really says, and not be able to find a single person with an answer, that will cause a crisis of faith. And so the last thing we want at Hope is for you to not have a safe place to walk through those doubts and those questions. We want this to be a place where you can hopefully receive answers, but where you will absolutely not be judged and not be shamed, and we want to walk with you through your doubts. We actually want to treat your doubts and your questions the same way that Jesus treated people with doubts and questions. And uh, he does this more than you might think. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, one of his most famous parables is about this. Now, we're not going to be able to go in depth to all of these verses. This is kind of an introduction week to the series, but we're going to be jumping in in deep uh, the next few weeks. But look at what he says in Matthew seven twenty four. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain co comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. And when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now, Jesus is saying a lot in these verses, but one of the things that's important is that Jesus wants us to inspect the foundation of our faith. He wants us to know what we've built our faith and our life on. And he says there's only two options. 
You can either build your faith on a rock or something solid or the sand on a shaky foundation. And this foundation makes all the difference. You need to know which foundation you've built your faith in your life upon because whatever that foundation is, has real world consequences. Because the storms of life are gonna come. Christians are going to fall, unfortunately. Christians are gonna hurt other people. Suffering is gonna come into your life. And the foundation that you've built your life on determines whether your life will collapse or whether it will stand firm. So it's really important to examine the foundation of your faith to maybe pull back all the truths and the structure that you built on it so that you can get a good look at the foundation and figure out, is this the right foundation or not? And we actually see people doing this all the time in the Bible. You just might've never noticed the most famous one is Thomas. If you don't know who Thomas was, he was a follower of Jesus. And uh, he had been handed down a certain truth and a faith from his parents. But part of that faith was that he believed the Messiah would be a human being. He wouldn't be God. And that he would set up an earthly kingdom and rule forever. So this king would be human, but he would not die. And he was pretty sure that Jesus was the Messiah, but then he saw with his own eyes as Jesus was killed and his body was laid into a tomb. And he kind of stepped back and said, no, no, I've been taught the Messiah can't die. And I've been taught that if you die on a cross, like you're cursed by God. I believe all these things. And if these things are true, then Jesus can't be the Messiah. And he wouldn't believe it. And even when the other disciples came to him and said, no, 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 he's gotten up out of the grave. He's not dead anymore. Look at his response. I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Well, he gets an opportunity. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. Jesus liked to do this. I guess because he could, he would just appear in random rooms. But he said this, peace be with you, he said. And look at the very next thing, verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into my wound and my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And he offered him the evidence that Thomas was looking for and Thomas did it. And after he examined it, he said, my Lord and my God, he believed. But notice that Jesus doesn't get mad at him for demanding proof. He doesn't shame him for having doubts or for having questions. In fact, he pursues Thomas. And the very first thing he does is give him evidence and really give him a better foundation to build his faith and his life on. Not just the teachings handed down by his parents, which were partially true and partially not, but a foundation of a risen Messiah standing right in front of him. And once Thomas gets the foundation right, notice he doesn't just deconstruct, but he does the work of reconstructing as well. He tears down the truths that don't fit on the foundation of Jesus and builds back a new faith and a new life that does fit on that foundation. And we actually see lots of people go through this process. You guys know, know Paul, he used to be called Saul. Uh, Saul was a persecutor of the, earthly church, of the um, early church. Saul had deeply held beliefs as well that his parents had taught him, that their parents had taught them. He called it the traditions of my ancestors. And part of those traditions was that the Messiah would be a man. Therefore, Jesus was a liar. Therefore, the early Christian church was evil and needed to be stopped. 
And so he spent a lot of his life killing Christians and murdering Christian leaders. But then Jesus showed up to him in the, in, in the flesh, showed up to him face to face. And when he saw Jesus, he had to throw away that stuff. He had to question the faith that he had received, that foundation. And you can read it in Galatians chapter 1. Once he saw Jesus, he didn't immediately start his ministry. Instead, he went to Arabia and then to Damascus for three years. He had a three-year process where he deconstructed and threw away the stuff that he believed that simply wasn't true and reconstructed on the faith, the foundation of Jesus. It took him three years. Parents, if you have children that are going through this deconstruction process, it took Paul three years and he saw Jesus face to face and he was a Bible expert. So it might take longer for your children, but just be present, be faithful, but be patient. But Paul eventually reconstructed a strong faith of which you and I our beneficiaries of today. And I don't think that we here in America are much different than Thomas or Paul. I'm gonna say something kind of bold, but I think the reason that we're seeing so much deconstruction and deconversion happen here in the West is because in America, many people have been brought up in a biblically naive and culturally informed form of Christianity. It's just true. A lot of people have been brought up in a biblically naive and culturally formed form of Christianity. A lot of us have been taught that these certain truths are really, really, really important. And then we read in the Bible and they're not there. And culturally formed. And there are some really important truths and doctrines that are in the Bible that we just haven't been taught at all because we're biblically naive, and that's okay. And so most of us here in America need to take the time to think hard and to research and to go deep into God's word and to figure out what parts of our faith we, we might should throw away and what parts we need to keep and build on the foundation of Jesus. Maybe all of us need to do a little bit of deconstruction and a little bit of reconstruction. I actually have spent portions of my life um, in construction. Surprise, surprise. I used to work for my brother-in-law. And it's like a month here, a week here. But all in all, probably nine months or a year of my life I was doing it. And um, we used to do a lot of trim work. Now he's into remodels and stuff. But trim work, you know, like the outside of someone's house. And so we get a call, hey, my windowsill's like falling apart. Or the soffit underneath my roof is kind of sagging. It seems to have some water damage. And so we get that call and my job the first day was to assess the damage. And the reason it was my job is because it took no skill whatsoever. You just go out there with a crowbar and a hammer and you just hit some pieces of wood and whatever pieces fall apart, well, you gotta take those out and replace them. So I would do that. Now, sometimes I would get to a house and realize it's just one board. Like it's just the windowsill that the person who built the house, he forgot to uh, prime the ends. Always prime the ends of your boards, homeowners. And so I'd take that out and we just have to replace one board. And that's some of you listening right now. By the grace of God, your parents or your pastors have handed you a really good and sturdy faith. And there's only one or two areas that you need to rethink. Or there might be some stuff that you feel very strongly about that's really just a secondary issue. Or there might be something that you don't care at all about that's actually really important in the Bible. But then other times I get to a house and it would seem like just that windowsill was rotten and I'd pull it out and sure enough, all the other wood was good, but there was something worse in there. Can you guess what it was? It's mold, black mold. And so we would have to pull out even healthy pieces of wood so we could call a professional or 
Sometimes I would get in there with a mask and bleach and scrub that mold out so it wouldn't infect the rest of the house. And that's some of you as well. Maybe a lot of your doctrine and theology is good and it's true and it's right. It's just lived out in a judgmental or a prideful way or maybe sins like like lust or anger or jealousy or bitterness or drunkenness or pride have started to grow in your heart and you need to do a little bit more deconstruction. You gotta take even the healthy parts out so you can clean them up so you can build back and really live those truths out in the way that Jesus wants you to. But then sometimes we'd actually find that the whole side of the house was damaged. And if you're a homeowner, that's bad news. If you're a remodeler, cha-ching, that's the best news you can hear. Uh, But we would take that windowsill out and realize, no, all the siding's gone. Oh my goodness, 90% of the framing's done. And we would take it down until we got to the, the support beams. And sometimes we'd even figure out that the foundation itself was bad, that it was crumbling. And we'd have to call someone to pour a new slab. And then we'd build everything from scratch on that new foundation. And that might be some of you as well where what you think of as Christianity really isn't Christianity at all. And you have to go all the way back to the foundation and make sure that it's Jesus and basically start from scratch. And I've counseled and walked with people that were in all of those three categories and probably all of us are in one of those groups or somewhere in between and that's okay. This is a safe place to work that out. As long as you have the foundation of Jesus who lived, we know that, historical fact. Who died under Pontius Pilate, we know that. Who was risen from the grave. We have a collection of his teachings and his philosophy on life. And when you make that the foundation, you can build something sturdy on that. You know what would have been very foolish of me to do in construction or very unwise? To go to a house and see, man, this windowsill is rotten and I pull it out and that's the only thing. It would have been dumb for me to go up to the homeowner and knock on the door and say, bad news, you got a rotten windowsill. I recommend you tear the whole house down. Hey, I found a a loose piece of trim. It's kind of rotten on a corner. I recommend you burn the whole thing down and go find a tent to live in the next few years. No wise person would ever do that, right? Because the foundation... And probably 95% of everything else was still good. It was still healthy. And yet that's what I see people doing with Christianity all the time. Where they encounter their very first question, which is usually valid. And they experience that first feeling of doubt, which is okay. And most of the time healthy. And they start to research, praise the Lord. That's what all of us should do. But then they come to the conclusion because they can't understand this point or that point that the whole thing is wrong and they throw out what billions of people have tested and studied and proven and died for for the past 2,000 years because they read a progressive Christian book or they saw someone's deconversion story online they pick up a sledgehammer when they really just need some sandpaper Or they take out the dynamite when really what they need is just a paintbrush. So that's what we're going to be doing the next few weeks is to go back to the foundation. And the foundation of Christianity is a man who lived and died and rose again uh, from the grave named Jesus. That's the foundation. And we're going to ask, hey, what did Jesus think about the Bible? It's been used to support slavery, to keep down. What, What is he have an opinion on that?
What does Jesus think about other religions? Are they valid? Is Christianity really the only way? What does Jesus think about love? Like we see that sign, love is love. What does that mean? How would Jesus define love? And I think it's so important that we're here because you probably have someone in your life that's gonna be going through this, but also this might be the last chance that you've given church today. And you say, I'm gonna give it one more shot. And God decided to bring you here right now. (laughs) And so I'd I'd ask that you just give it three more weeks and just see what God would do. But in the last five minutes that we have, I would not be a good pastor if I didn't add something to this. Um, Part of being a pastor is uh, being a shepherd. And so the pastors here on staff, we're shepherds. And part of being a shepherd is doing shepherd things, right? We feed the sheep. We care for the sheep. We um, um, disciple the sheep. Uh, We we realize that we're a sheep ourselves because we have a chief shepherd. But part of being a shepherd is also to warn the sheep about wolves. And deconstruction doesn't always naturally lead to deconversion, and it doesn't come out of nowhere. Often suffering and moral failing, that, that kind of starts the process. But there are thousands of people that are eager to take you by the hand and lead you away from Jesus. There are thousands of people that are writing books and offering seminars, and they have TikTok accounts, and they have podcasts that are really, really eager to take you by the hand and lead you away from Jesus and into whatever philosophy allows them to sell more books or get more followers or or make more money. They are called, in the Bible, false teachers. And they're just as active today as they were in Jesus' time. And and I don't think it's an accident that more and more people are deconstructing and deconverting at the same time that more and more of these teachers are gaining huge online audiences. And so part of our job as as a shepherd is to say, hey, That person might look like a sheep and say they are a sheep and they may look like an intelligent sheep and a loving sheep and a brave sheep and a courageous sheep and a wise sheep, but they're not. They're actually a wolf and they want to kill you and devour you and shipwreck your faith and you need to watch out. So that's the warning. There are people out there who are false teachers who will proclaim that themselves and the tribe that they're in are the first people in the past 10,000 years to figure out spirituality and what God's really like. And they'll say that we have arrived at the pinnacle of religious knowledge. We know what no one else has ever known. So buy my book and attend my workshop and follow me on TikTok. But here's the thing. I've read a lot of progressive Christian books for this series. You're welcome. Now you don't have to. But what I've learned is nothing that they teach is new. It's all stuff that came out in the first century. And I had to consult like my my church history book to make sure I wasn't seeing things. If you don't know, the first hundred years of Christianity was Christians basically figuring out, hey, what's true and what's not true? We got Jesus, we got the Bible, um, but what's heresy and what's true? What, What destroys lives and what actually redeems lives? And so they had all these councils where they voted and they didn't call something heresy because they didn't like it, but because it didn't fit on the foundation of Jesus and it destroyed lives. And all of these things that these people are teaching nowadays were, were, were called heresy back in the first century. I made a list. They're big words. You don't have to remember them. But universalism is there is no hell. Everyone goes to heaven. That was taught in the first century. It's wrong. Gnosticism, the book of Colossians and Ephesians is about this. Gnosticism says the body doesn't matter. It's the soul that does. So you can do whatever you want sexually or physically with the body. They also said that salvation or experiencing the divine comes down to the secret higher knowledge. You ever read The Secret that Oprah recommends? That's what that book's all about. 
There's um, Marcionism, that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. That was in every progressive Christian book I read. There's Silanthropism, Jesus was just a man. There's Antimonianism, we are not bound by God's law and we can sin as we please. There's Pelagianism, the belief that humans are basically good and do not have a sinful nature, so there's no need for the cross, no need uh, for salvation. I could keep going. But it's all there. And so when, when all these teachers put out a new book or a new podcast or a new sermon or a new Twitter thread, it's just plagiarized heresy that Christians already figured out in the first century was wrong and it's harmful a long, long time ago. This is not new. It's like if I was a salesman, all right, and I came to your door and I knocked on it one day and I said, hey, I got some state-of-the-art products that are going to change your life. And everyone needs to buy these products. You'd be interested, right? You say, well, what do you have to offer? I said, well, I got three things. First, I got some gasoline, but it's, it's no normal gasoline. I added lead to it. It's called leaded gasoline. And it makes the engine run smoother. It even, even smells good. Well, that's awesome. What else you got? Well, I have some, uh, I have some hairspray but in the, in the bottle is not normal air. It's got CFCs in it, chlorofluorocarbons. And it pressurizes the hairspray so it's so good for your hair. All right, what else you got? Well, I got this brand new insulation. It comes from this magic rock that we found underground called asbestos. And it will cut your heating bill in half. This is amazing stuff. What would you say? You say, you're an idiot. What, are you crazy? Like CFCs destroyed the ozone layer unleaded, I mean, leaded gas literally killed people. Um, asbestos gives you severe lung disease. It's the exact same thing with progressive teaching. They make it sound new. They make it sound like they're the ones that have arrived at some educated conclusion. They make it look brave. They make it look cool. And the Instagrams are sexy and thoughtful and, and attractive, but it's just reheated heresy and it will shipwreck your faith. And we're gonna be addressing some of these new, old teachings that we're coming up against. And I wanna leave you with just a few words from the book of Jude. This is not gonna be the tone of the rest of the series, okay? I just gotta do my warning part. But the book of Jude is crazy because it was written about 40 to 80 AD, which is 2,000 years ago, and they're experiencing the same stuff that we are. Look at what it says all the way back in Jude. He says this, Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share, but now, unfortunately, I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago for they have denied our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. When these people eat with you in your fellowship meals commemorating the Lord's love, the, the communion, they are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They're like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. They're like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They're like trees in autumn that are doubly dead for they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. They're like wild waves of the sea churning up the foam of their shameful deeds. They're like wandering stars doomed forever to the blackest darkness. But you, dear friends, listen to this, you must build, right? reconstruct each other up in your most, most holy faith 
pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. And underline this. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. And show mercy to still others who do, uh, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. So I'm excited for this series. We love you. We want this to be a really safe experience where you can walk through your doubts. We want to help you hopefully discover some answers along the way. And ultimately, we want to show you the foundation that you can build your life on. The rock of Jesus. The sure and steady foundation that when the storms come, and they will, after they're gone, your life will stand. And it will be stronger. So let's pray, Father. Would you do this in the name of your son, Jesus? Would you bring people that are doubting and questioning? Would you give us grace and patience and love? And I pray that we all walk out of here with a stronger and sturdier faith that's built on the foundation, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.